Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and providing your, your, your all-sufficient word. You have given us uh, all that we need for life and godliness. Within your word, you direct us how you would want us to live. More than that, Lord, you have done all that is necessary to, to free us from the bondage to sin so that we are able to obey. And then, Lord, you, you empower us to obey. We thank you for all those things. Thank you again for your word of truth. Pray that now as we look at your word that you would encourage us through it, that you cause us to, uh, to think on the things that you would have for us, cause us to uh, examine our, our patterns of living. And may all this be uh, done to glorify you and because we have a love for you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we will be in the, the book of James. In chapter three, but before we start, we have to do a little bit of a little bit of background just to kind of get us get us to this portion because we're jumping in in the middle of a book here. Um, and by way of background, first, uh, it's it's pretty quick when we talk about the word wisdom. James is probably one of the most Jewish books of the the New Testament, maybe with the exception of the book of Hebrews. But uh, James is a very Jewish book, so when he is talking about wisdom, he's really playing into that that Old Testament concept of wisdom. So really, just by way of background, just to get into our thinking, it's Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instructions. Going into this concept of wisdom that James picks up on here, it's that concept of skillful living. So that's what he's going to be talking about in this passage, uh, skillful living. How do we live skillfully? You know, as I was praying, I said that, the Lord has given us all that we need for life and godliness. So within his word, we have what we need to live skillfully. So we're going to be looking at that this evening. Second, by way of introduction, just a little introduction into the, into the book. First, the, the, the authorship. It's, uh, we, we'll just kind of go through these real quick and not really talk about all the different viewpoints, but I'll just kind of uh, lay out where, where most people land or where I landed on, uh, on these things. And first, uh, by way of authorship, uh, this would be uh, James, the, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. His brother, also uh, an author of a New Testament book, Jude. So as far as the authorship goes, for the most part, traditionally, it's believed, believed to be James, the half-brother of Jesus. It's considered the, the earliest New Testament book, um, chronologically, it doesn't cover the earliest events that you would see that in the Gospels, but it was written chronologically, historically first. So it's the order of books for the most part is, is thought to be uh, the book of James, and then you would have the book of Galatians as far as, as chronology. And where James falls in uh, into the book of Galatians, it's probably written prior to Galatians. Uh, it's believed to have been written prior to the events that we read about in Acts chapter 15, which is called the Jerusalem Council. So in Acts chapter 15, it's where they get together and try to decide how they're going to work with uh, Jews and the Gentiles together. What are they going to do about circumcision? What are they going to do about some of these laws? And it's kind of some of the things that we've been uh, covering in Galatians. But So this falls prior to that. So James is probably written somewhere in the mid-40s, but prior to either 48 or 49 uh, A.D. So it's a very, a very early 
uh, writing. And, and as a result of that, is, is, as you go through the New Testament, you can see that they're able to expand on some, some concepts and things like that. So James doesn't have the full breadth of things that some of the other books have just because it is so early on. Uh, another point about the, the authorship is the way that the way that he presents information is different than, than the way that Paul would approach it. Paul front loads with, with all the theology and all the doctrine and the truth, and then he gives uh, the practical side of it. How do you live in the light of all these truth, truths? Whereas when you read James, he puts them together at the same time. So he builds the doctrine and he builds the practice at the same time, um, which you know is a very kind of uh, almost proverbial way of putting it forward. And he, he, when you read through the book, you kind of get that feel. And I think when I originally studied through this, it seemed a lot more disjointed before I had studied it. But when you, when you read it and you really get into it, he is, he's very connected in all his ideas. He does have an idea that overarches and flows through the whole thing. So that's, the, that's a little bit about the authorship. And we're kind of going through this fast just to get some, some of the background before we get into the, the text here. Uh, the audience, if you turn to chapter 1, he identifies the audience that he's writing to. So, it is to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. So, he's writing to a, a Jewish audience, uh, specifically the Jews that have been scattered. If you look down to verse 2 and follow through there, it's believed that they are scattered due to persecution. Uh, it's hard to say which particular persecution this is. It could be the persecution that you read about in, uh, you can read about in Acts chapter 8, which is the persecution that they experienced right after Stephen was stoned. So very, very early on in the church, they were scattered abroad. They potentially are believers at the time of Pentecost. And because of the persecution, they're scattered outside of, of Jerusalem. And being that this is very early on in the church, there's probably only the church of Jerusalem at the time that this is written. The second church would have been Antioch in Syria, which may or may not have been a church at that particular point in time. So he's writing to these Jewish believers, and it's, I think it's a very important thing to, to pick up on that when you read through this book, that it's Jewish believers. They're Jewish in background, but they have come to faith in Christ, which Incidentally, is one of the most Jewish things that you could do, and they've come to faith in Christ, and that leads us into what his aim is, right? They're, they're scattered abroad, they're suffering persecution, uh, they're in other lands, the church that they know of, potentially only church in Jerusalem. James is writing to them to challenge them, to encourage them, and to really lay out what it is to live a life of faith. So as he goes through, he hits on various different topics, but the overarching um, really theme in all of it is, is living a life of faith. So you see in chapter 1, he talks about trials. How do you live in the midst of trials by faith? And as you continue on through chapter 1, dealing with, with sin in a faithful manner, it's how do you deal with being confronted by the word of God in a faithful manner? And then chapter 2, he deals with partiality and how do you, he, he says, how do you carry out your faith when it comes to those type of situation? So overall, there's this arching, overarching theme of, in these different topics he brings up, how does one live out a life of faith in all these areas of life? And then there's, there's a sort of a, a culmination in the end of chapter 2 where, it's, where 
James is, is really looking at the other side of the, the coin that we've been looking at in Galatians, which in, in the morning when we've been looking at Galatians, it's, and, and even in Romans, it's justification uh, by faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, through grace, or by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. So that's how Paul presents it. When we look at what James is saying in chapter 2, James is narrowing down and he's looking at the same thing but from a different side. And what James is saying in chapter 2 is that those that have real faith, that real faith affects how they live and that faith is going to be demonstrated in how an individual conducts themselves. And you see that as an overarching thing uh, throughout the letter. And in uh, chapter 3, we'll look just a little bit at the background of chapter 3 before we get to the the actual passage here. So uh, the author, James, the half-brother of Jesus, his audience are these Jews that have been scattered abroad uh, because of persecution, and his overall aim and what he is doing is directing them and living a life of faith in the midst of all these circumstances that they find themselves in. When we get to chapter 3, uh, he begins with a warning to to teachers, and then he goes from there with the overall kind of concept of how we guard our tongues, and that's when he gets into wisdom. And if if you've ever read through the the book of Proverbs, you can see how how Jewish it is to couple all these things together, right? It's in the book of Proverbs. There's so much about how you guard your tongue, how you keep your tongue, and living a life of wisdom that a life of wisdom uh, is shown forth in how we speak, how we conduct ourselves, how we manage our tongue. And so when I was saying that, you know, originally before I had really got into this book, I thought it was disjointed, but you can see his flow here, right? Is a warning to teachers, is a warning to how we say things, to, to take care in how we present information, to make sure that we're clear. And then he broadens it out to an overall concept of, just managing our tongues because our tongues can be so damaging. And then he brings that right to wisdom, which is really what you see throughout the book of Proverbs. So I know we went through that quick, but I think that you need a little bit of background just to kind of kind of get your head in into the book to, to develop a little bit of framework to work from. And now as we uh, get to the passage here, let's, let's uh, turn back to James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. James 3.13, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Uh, yeah, at, at work I have quite a bit of time to, you know, if, I, if I'm drafting, I have quite a bit of time to listen to sermons or listen to different things and I kind of mix in there just some politics every once in a while, just listen to just people talk about those things. And as I've been listening to that, 
you know, it's really occurred to me that that we we live in a world where people just have no idea how to live, right? They just they don't know how to live. They don't know uh, what to do with their lives. They don't have direction. They don't think correctly. And I was thinking about that in, in the light of kind of what we went through this morning in, in Romans about the just having a compassion for, for people and thinking that, you know, thinking along those same lines that Pastor Terry was talking about, even in, in this passage when I was thinking about it this, this afternoon, is that, you know, we're, we're in a world that there's this, people just don't know how to, don't know how to live, don't know how to con- conduct themselves, don't have a purpose, don't have a direction. And it is in Christ that we, we have all of those things. And so I say that just as kind of a, a little introduction as we get into this passage and thinking about the, the culture that we live in and the necessity for us to truly live skillfully. Uh, living skillfully, it's, we do it out of a love for God because we love God. We want to obey him. Uh, we want to live according to his word. But also living skillfully is also... Uh, you know, a testimony to those that are around us. So I was thinking of it in, in that sense. And as you think about our culture, and we'll see that we'll see that James kind of ferrets this out as we go through it. Within our culture, just like the culture that he lived in, um, there's a very pragmatic way of living, right? And by that, it's pragmatism. I've heard R.C. Sproul say that pragmatism is the only true philosophy that has come out of the United States. Uh, you know, if you study philosophies, they've come from all over. United States has one, and it's pragmatism. And pragmatism is just whatever whatever works, do it. It's uh, kind of the ends justify the means philosophy, and that's a philosophy that is very uh, pervasive within our culture. And I think that at, at times we can all be affected by that, right? We can all find ourselves living in that type of manner, where it's, all right, this is how I did it last time, and this seemed to work, so let's do it like that again. Uh, in contradiction to that, we have the word of God that tells us how we are supposed to live. So we have an objective, solid truth for directing our lives. So we don't need to be uh, those that, that fall prey to the worldly system that we live in, that is that pragmatic system, that system of, whatever gets me through. It, it actually almost amounts to like a survival of the fittest type mentality, right? If this gets me through this situation, if this gets me through this circumstance, uh, then I'll use it again, maybe. Because, you, you know, you don't have to necessarily use the same way to get through every time. It's whatever works. You can come up with new means and new methods. You can, you know, it could be emotionally charged, right? This feels good at this point in time, but it doesn't feel good later. But that is contrary to, to the scriptures, right? Again, we have a concrete, objective truth that we can go to. So as, as James, his aim is to direct us into thinking how to live out a life of faith, what a life of faith looks like within the, within the culture that we're in, you know, specifically area he's dealing with that. They're scattered abroad. They're all in different cultures. They're all 
within frameworks of different ways of thinking. You know, depending on where you could have landed in the Roman world, you could come into all manner of different types of polytheism or all kinds of different thinking. And, and, and you can see that as you go through the New Testament letters. You know, each church that Paul deals with, there's, there's a different problem they have there that's, that's unique to their culture. So within their cultures, these individuals that are scattered abroad, he's giving them these directions for how to examine how they're living their lives, if they're living their lives in a skillful manner, if they're living their lives in accordance to the word of God. So, so he's going to kind of break down uh, wisdom for us. And he starts off with this, this rhetorical question to, to get us to think here. Who among you is wise and understanding? And as I was thinking about this, it's, you know, we might, we might not have too much difficulty in thinking that we have wisdom in how we conduct ourselves. You know, we try to conduct ourselves according to the word of God. But then it's really that, that second word that, that I think gets me. And it is understanding. And this word is unique to James. And James uses this word, this word understanding means to be completely endued with knowledge, to know completely, to know thoroughly, and to basically just ooze understanding, ooze under, you know, ooze knowledge. So when you get to that part, I think that's where we really can get challenged, is are we thoroughly understanding? Do we have this quality of being endued with knowledge. And so that's the, the challenge that he first puts out there. And, and James, that's, that's his pattern through the whole book. Is he brings up a topic, he challenges them in the light of that topic, and then he walks through, walks through it, and then he'll hit the next topic, and they do connect. So first he's going to, he's going to give us a, a test on determining whether the wisdom or understanding we possess is godly. Is it wisdom from above? Because that's what he's contrasting here. He's contrasting wisdom from below or wisdom from above. And that, that concept from above, uh, James hits on that a bunch of times. And I think one of, one of my uh, favorite passages in James that I think about often is in James chapter 1, uh, where he uses this same, same uh, expression. And he says this, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And I, I, just, I just love that verse. What a verse that speaks to the, the character of God, right? Every good and perfect gift is from above. And this wisdom that he's talking about here, it would fall along those same lines. It's wisdom from above. So it is a good and perfect gift. It is from God. So let's look at the characteristics of, of wisdom. First, uh, he gets right into it, is it does the wisdom that you profess to have, does the wisdom that we profess to have, does it have good works? Is it characterized by good works? You see this in uh, verse 13, and I'll read it again here. Um, Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. 
So the wisdom that we, we say that we have or that we think we have, that wisdom is uh, shown or demonstrated or proved out or put on display. Uh, that's what he's saying there. He's saying it in a imperative. So we must show this forward. We, we must exhibit this. True wisdom exhibits these things. And he says it must, uh, it must put forward, be demonstrated, and how is it demonstrated? And he says, by good behavior. So by behavior that is characterized by being morally beautiful, uh, acceptable. And it's the word for behavior there in the, in the, old, uh, the old King James Version there. It's, it's conversation. So it's your, it's your character. It's how you live. It's your way of life. It's your conduct. So true Wisdom is demonstrated by showing forth good behavior. So, in essence, uh, true wisdom is never bereft of virtue. True wisdom never lacks virtue. It's never absent of virtue, of that which is good. So, skillful living, when we live according to the Word of God, it's always characterized by good behavior And then he expands that. It's shown forth by uh, the how is by good behavior. And what is shown forth? His deeds. So it's shown forth by good behavior. So that's kind of the, 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 the means that we see that it's shown forward. And what is actually shown forward? It's his works. So it's our works. And when James uses this word, uh, works he uses it a number of times in in this particular book, and it would be any of those things that that line up with obedience to the Word of God, so in like chapter two that I kind of hit on real quick, I hit on that just because we were going to deal with that same conduct that that he says faith without works is dead, so it means faith that doesn't have with it action uh, obedience to the Word of God that's not marked by those things is not a real faith um, and it kind of, again, it reminds me of that, that word for now that we've talked about a bunch lately. It's, you know, it's, it's having that understanding, that knowledge, thinking in such a way that it affects how we live. So true faith is going to affect how we live. It's going to change how we live. If we truly believe in the scriptures, it changes how we live. It changes how we conduct ourselves. It changes our, our manner of thinking. And when we change our manner of thinking, that changes our our behavior, changes how we conduct ourselves. So true wisdom, it's shown forth um, by means of good behavior in works, and it's also shown forth in works in uh, the gentleness of wisdom or the meekness of wisdom. And this, this word gentleness here, uh, is actually, I think uh, meekness is probably a better translation. There's actually uh, two words that can be translated meekness. When we looked at the, the fruits of the Spirit this morning, we talked about gentleness. He's not using the same word here. He's using a word that's more often translated as meekness, and it's only used a few times, whereas the other term gentleness is used uh, quite a bit more. So I think gentleness is probably, or uh, meekness is probably a better translation here just because he's using a different word. And so uh, true wisdom really shows forth 
by good behavior, by works, in a controlled, humble manner. And that finds its ultimate origin back in wisdom. Skillful living, living by wisdom, is demonstrated by producing within us uh, good works, works that are characterized by uh, humility, that show forth in, in good behavior. So when we get to this, this concept of, of skillful living, we can automatically see how different this is from, from a, a worldly idea of living, right? Because he's saying if it's from above, if it's good, it produces good. If it's true wisdom, it produces good. And when you think of the book of, of Proverbs, you can see that all throughout the book of Proverbs, right? It's the skillful living from the book of Proverbs. All those things produce within us uh, that which is, which is good, which is morally acceptable, which is characterized by gentleness or meekness or humility or love or whatever it may be uh, because wisdom reflects the character of God and wisdom should show forth in that manner. Wisdom produces good works. That's really the, the first test that he puts out there, the test on wisdom. The second test he puts out is, uh, is it self-seeking or does it seek self? And we'll see that he's going to develop that is wisdom that is not from above is self-seeking. Well, that's why I was saying that, that pragmatism, it kinda, you kind of end up in a, in a position where you are living in a manner that's kind of survival of the fittest, right? Because it's, it's self-seeking. So he says if it's true wisdom, it's not going to be self-seeking. And that's really verses 14 to 16, and I'll read that again. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. So the wisdom that is characterized by uh, bitter jealousy, uh, that's the word zeal there, and zeal is kind of a neutral word. But, uh, James makes it very clear that he's using it in a bad sense because he, he uses the adjective bitter. So he describes it as bitter which is that which is uh, it tastes horrible, right? It's it's bitter. It's not something you that you want uh, in your mouth. So it's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So if the way that we are living, if the way we are conducting ourselves is characterized by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, he says that living in this way and thinking that we possess true wisdom is actually an arrogance and it is contrary. He says it is lying against the truth. So that's the, the first sets of characteristics he puts out to test our wisdom. Is it self-seeking, self-centered? Is it seeking its own? Is it that pragmatic type survival of the fittest notion? Or is it exhibited in good behavior? Uh, he also says that this wisdom does not come down from above. And he gives us a couple of characteristics of this particular wisdom. He says if it's marked by selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, that it is uh, earthly, natural, and demonic. 
And by earthly, he's just, he's just saying there that it's like terrestrial. It's just of the, of the world. It's terrestrial. It's not uh, having origins in the heavens. Uh, natural. Uh, some of your translation, translations might have unspiritual, and I think that kind of helps put the terminology forward a little bit better. It, at least it does in my thinking. When he's saying natural there, he's just saying that it's, uh, it's not of the spirit. It's not spiritual. It's um, of basically of the, of the body. It's not spiritual. It's fleshly in a sense. He doesn't use the word fleshly there, but it's, I think that kind of helps bring out the sense. And then uh, lastly, the, the term he uses is, is demonic. And I think that, that's pretty clear what he's getting at there. So wisdom that is self-centered ultimately is earthly, natural, and demonic. So if our manner in which we are living, the, the skill set that we are using to conduct ourselves, if it's marked by selfish ambition, then Ultimately, it is earthly, natural, and demonic. In verse 16, he goes into what the, the natural outcome is for wisdom that's, that's characterized by those things. And he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil practice. So another characteristic of, of earthly wisdom, wisdom that is not from above, is that it actually brings about uh, disorder. It's almost this sense of that, that word disorder, you, you almost get the sense of anarchy from that word, that there's, there's no order. You get the idea that it's kind of like the, the time of the, the book of Judges, right? Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. They're not living according to the, the word of God. So you have you know, the book of Judges, there's just massive disorder throughout the book of Judges. There's this idea of disorder. There's no unity. There's no order to everything, anything. And then it also produces, he just kind of throws a blanket term on the end here, that it produces every evil thing. So the fruit of this selfish ambition type wisdom, this earthly wisdom, this natural wisdom, uh, demonic wisdom, he says, is that it just produces evil. So ultimately, uh, the test for wisdom is, does the wisdom produce good, or does it produce evil? Does it work within us uh, to produce those things? All right, so now that gets us to what does true wisdom look like. And interestingly enough, if you look through this list, it, it resembles quite a bit the, the fruits of the Spirit. It lines up quite a bit with the, uh, those things that we've been talking about in Galatians. Uh, those things that the, the Spirit of God works within us. And wisdom would be along the same lines, right? It's wisdom from above. It's wisdom that God gives. It is one of those good and perfect gifts. One of the good and perfect gifts that God gives us is how to live skillfully, how to live uh, in the world in a way that is pleasing to him. And so when we look at this wisdom from above, we see that it is marked by all these things that look like the fruits of the Spirit. And it's interesting how he, he front-loads this, this here, and we'll look at this here in verse 17. He kind of front-loads it, but he says, but wisdom from above is first pure. So it's interesting that in, in the first place, he gives prominence to this idea of pure, that the wisdom from above as the first characteristic is kind of a 
the way he words this, it's like an overarching characteristic, and then those things fall under him. Uh, the other things he says fall under it. But first of all, it is pure. Uh, it is characterized by this, this uh, purity. So, you know, moral goodness, that which is not characterized by evil. And the, 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 the word pure is you get the sense that it's, uh, you know, things that are pure, they're, they're not mixed or diluted. They're not corrupted. Uh, they're, not, they're not tainted or anything like that. So the wisdom from above, it's, it's pure. It's, it's not mixed in any way. It's morally good, not corrupted. It's not um, mixed with evil or selfish ambition, right? It's not seeking those type of things because, you know, pure is gonna, the, the idea of pure is going to stand against those other things that he's already mentioned. It's going to stand against it in the opposite sense. So it's pure... Uh, first and foremost, it's characterized by that. And then we see he goes on to give a couple other attributes in in reference to what this wisdom from above looks like. Uh, then it is it is peaceable, which above he says that wisdom that is earthly leads to all manner of dis, uh, disorder, and it leads to every evil thing. But wisdom from God is peaceable. So in our skillful living, it should first and foremost be pure, then it should be peaceable. And again, these, these look like characteristics of the fruits of the Spirit, right? What the Spirit would work within us. Uh, peaceable, I, we probably don't have to really go into a definition of that. It's, it's just that idea of harmony among others. Uh, gentle, and the word gentle he uses here is the word that he uses when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So it's that idea of being um, gentle, just that idea of, of kindness, of having uh, compassion, you know, mild, even-tempered type of, type of meaning. And then he says uh, reasonable. And the, the word reasonable there is, is kind of interesting. It, it kind of, in a, in a sense, means like compliant. It's like one that is teachable. So if it is reasonable, it means you're, you're, you're teachable. You're able to be taught. You're able to... to I guess in a sense receive instruction. I don't know if that's really what he means here, but the, the concept is that true wisdom is able to receive instruction. It is full of mercy, and that idea of mercy, we're all familiar with that, that it's like a, a compassion. It's giving forward uh, compassion uh, regardless of how it's received, right? It's mercy by definition is, is giving something that isn't deserved, so it's giving out that which isn't deserved, it's, it's merciful. So when we live skillfully, it's characterized by being merciful. And then he kind of gives a, another all-encompassing type of term, and it's uh, the, the word full of goes with mercy and with good fruits. So it's full of mercy and full of good fruits. So it, it's characterized by being filled with all the good fruits. And again, you can, you can think of the, the, the fruits of the Spirit as a, as a parallel there. It's full of all those things. Uh, it's unwavering, so it stands firm on the truth. It's not like in James chapter 1 where he talks about the person that is not, the person that is lacking faith, they're like a ship being tossed back and forth by the winds or by the waves. So it's not like that. It's unwavering. He, he uses that word back in chapter 1. So it's not like being tossed around as out in the ocean by the waves and the weather. 
It's, it's steadfast, firm, so it stands firmly in the word of God. And then ultimately one of the characteristics is that it is without hypocrisy. It isn't two-faced. It's not uh, the word hypocrisy. I often found that word to be interesting. It carries with it the idea of when the Greeks used to put on a play, you've ever seen it, they put on like a white mask that might have a smiley face or a frowning face or whatever, they would put on those masks. And that mask, they might have a happy face, but it's, it's putting on a face. They might not be smiling underneath. So it's that idea of putting on a false face. And true wisdom does not show forth in that manner. So skillful living looks like the fruit of the Spirit. It looks like being led by the Spirit. It looks like submitting to the Spirit. And, and interestingly enough, it's, it's so many of these concepts overlap with what Paul is dealing with in Galatians. That to live a life of true wisdom, wisdom from above, is to live according to the Word of God. It's to be submitted to God, to be submitted to the Spirit, and the Spirit works in us all of these things, all of these various skills and attributes so that we could live uh, in a manner that is well-pleasing to Him. I had never really thought to, to put those two passages to, together before, but having been teaching through Galatians and then looking at this, it's, it's amazing how many aspects of the scriptures, how many ways that God works within us. You can look at these little nuanced things and they all fall into that overarching thing that it's God that's at work within us. He works within us when we submit to his word, we submit to the leading of his spirit. And within his words, we have all that we need for life and godliness. If we want to live skillfully in this world in a way that is pleasing to him, he has equipped us to do so. He has given us his spirit. He has given us his word. Through faith, we have the capacity to actually live these things out because we have been made new. So the first test there is, does it produce good? The second test is, or, uh, yeah, does it produce good? The second one is, is it characterized by self? And as he, he rounds it off here, he goes back into what does it ultimately produce? And he gives all of those those description, wisdom above, what it looks like. And then he ends with what is probably uh, a proverbial statement here in verse 18. I think he's probably picking up a, a proverb from, from the day. And he's saying, The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And I think this, this does two things within, within his letter here. It serves to kind of sum up what he just went through. And if you read down to uh, verse 4, chapter 1, it actually acts as, a, as quite a launching off point into that, to that section, right? Uh, if you're living by wis- wisdom, if you're living skillfully, if you're living in accordance with God's word, if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? So he, again, he's got a, a natural flow through here. But this Proverbs, I, proverb in verse 18, which it seems that's what he's probably quoting here, he brings forth the, the idea, you see that uh, this, this, this sentence is actually pretty tough in the, the Greek, and I think, I don't know, everybody, everybody's got their own view on, on what this is, or how this is actually worded, or what goes where, but I think the, the New American Standard has it, has it well here, it's a little bit easier to, to follow than some translations, and 
And I think one of the things that's confusing is uh, the, the concept of the seed whose fruit. So you get the idea that this, this seed is planted and the fruit of that seed that is planted is righteousness. So the seed that planted whose fruit is righteousness, that seed is sown in peace. Uh, so he's, he's picking up on this concept of peace once again from, from wisdom, right? Because if it's, if it's earthly wisdom, it's full of disorder. If it's heavenly wisdom, it is peaceable. So the seed whose fruit, so what is produced by the seed, is righteousness. That seed is sown in peace, and it is sown by those who make peace. And I think this is, this is probably, again, this is probably a, a proverb of the time. But ultimately, when you see this, he's looking again at, at this, this concept of wisdom from above. And the wisdom from above produces peace. Uh, it's sown in peace. It produces peace. Um, it is righteousness, right? It, it, it's the, the seed grows up into righteousness. It is righteousness. It is characterized by righteousness. And so he's just summing up all that he said in this, I think, this proverbial type statement that, you know, ultimately how we, how we sow, what we are sowing to, uh, that's what we're going to reap, right? And that's the same thing that Paul is, uh, is doing in the, the section of Galatians that we're in. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap from the Spirit. If you sow and live according to earthly wisdom that's what you reap you reap these things that he says here you reap disorder every evil thing if you sow to heavenly wisdom if you're sowing in that sense then what you reap are those things that he lists there it's pure it's peaceable uh, reasonable full of mercy so in summing up that whole thing he he sums it all up as that earthly wisdom is characterized it produces and produces peace, and ultimately it is a reflection of the, the righteous character of God because its fruit is righteousness. It, it bears forth uh, righteousness. It is, it is uh, righteous living. And hopefully I explained that well because that, that's pretty tough in the, the Greek, and I had a lot of trouble with that to try to wrap my mind around what he's saying there. And I don't know, it's one of those things that any commentator I read just made it more confusing, I thought, rather than help me out at all but I think ultimately he's just summing that all up that that's what is produced and it sums up that section and it makes a great transition into the next section where he talks about quarrels and conflicts you know when there's quarrels and conflicts there's no skillful living there because that would characterize disorder and every evil thing God has given us all that we need for life and godliness how we are supposed to live how we are supposed to live within within a world um within our culture that anything goes it's pragmatic it's it's practical what james is doing here what his goal is what his push is is to to challenge us to challenge us in our thinking to cause us to examine ourselves to see if we are indeed uh living the life of faith that we are supposed to be living when i went through this book with the teens we entitled the whole thing that we went through, we called it, uh, I can't remember the first word, I remember the second word, something like along the lines of authentic, palpable faith. And authentic meaning genuine. When James writes this, he's talking about genuine faith. What are the characteristics of genuine faith? 
And by palpable, that word means that which can be seen or observed or handled. It's real, something that it's not out there. It's, it's actually tangible. That's what he's doing here. Real faith shows forth in wisdom because uh, genuine faith looks to God, is grounded in the word of God, lives skillfully according to the revealed word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that shows forth as genuine faith, and we can see it in practice. And you see that all throughout the book of James. So as we close here, you know, just as, just as I, was, I was going through this, it really causes us to, to examine how are, we, you know, how are we living. Are we living skillfully according to the word of God? Do we conduct ourselves you know, at the workplace, at home, or wherever it may be? Does it look like pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy? Is that the, the skill set that we're living by? Or are we living by a skill set that is jealous and full of selfish ambition where we're looking out for ourselves? And I think that's, that's the, the, the beauty of this book here is he, uh, he really challenges and in every section. He really challenges and causes us to, to think because he mixes. There's that mixing of the, the practical with the theological, right? He's doing the practical and the theological together here to, to challenge us to think about our wisdom. Are we conducting ourselves with wisdom from above or are we adopting uh, worldly wisdom? Where do we line up when we, we look at the tests in our own life? Father, we thank you for your, your word of truth. We thank you that your, your truth um, it convicts, it stretches us, it gets to our thinking, it strikes at our will. We thank you for that. We pray that you would help all of us to examine ourselves in the light of your word, that we would see how it is that we are conducting ourselves, Lord. Are we falling prey to our culture or are we living firmly by a foundation on your word, wisdom that is from above. Lord, we thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from you, that it comes from above. We thank you that you have given us, uh, once again, we thank you that you've given us all that we need for life and godliness, that you have directed us and told us how it is that you would have us to live. We thank you for your, your word of truth that, that uh, just deals on so many different levels, Lord, so that uh, by either principle or, or precept, we can figure out how it is that you would have us to live. Uh, we thank you for that. We pray that you would help each of us in following your spirit, being led by the spirit, disciplining ourselves to, to be students of the word so that we might uh, truly live in a skillful way, in a wise way, in order to please you and to even uh, be a light to those who are around us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.